athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Once again, you're locked into the dopest show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. It is, in fact, March Madness. I got to get right to things. Coming up on the program, North Carolina A&T track and field star Kayla White going to join us. North Carolina Central Head men's basketball coach Lavelle Moten also going to join us. And the NBA G League president, former NBA All-Star Sharif Abdurrahim, also going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. North Carolina Central ended its season with a loss to North Dakota State on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Norfolk State continued its season in the NIT, upsetting the number one overall seed, Alabama, in overtime, 80 to 79. And without further ado, as we continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row in his sixth season, as the head men's basketball coach of Norfolk State is Robert Jones. And the Spartans had a huge, absolutely huge win over Alabama, the number one seed in the NIT on Wednesday in Tuscaloosa, 80-79 to in overtime. They're going to play against Colorado in Boulder on Monday as Robert Jones joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Jones, welcome back to the program. Hey, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I know we talked with you about three weeks ago, but I want to talk with you about the victory over Alabama on Wednesday. A huge win for Norfolk State in the NIT. Your thoughts on the team's performance? Uh, I think the guys uh, really came out and played well. You know, the biggest thing were, was to try to get over that mental anguish of not being in the NCAA tournament, you know, due to a three-point loss to North Carolina Central. But um, I think over the course of time, you know, we were able to do a couple of team activities that had nothing to do with basketball, uh, just sit back and reflect on some of the good things that happened this, this season. And uh, mentally we got ready to play that game last night. And then um, as we got the shoot around that morning, you know, I think the guys, when they saw the, all the NIT um, symbols on the floor and, you know, a whole bunch of different uh, ESPN guys and press and things like that in, in the gym, you know, they realized that the NIT is something special and, and these guys got up for the challenge. And then, of course, you know, these guys being um, social media magnets in these days, day and age, they saw that, uh, you know, ESPN gave us a five, uh, I think a five percent chance of winning. So that really got them fueled. Yeah, I mean, NIT is a big deal. I mean, and you look at it, if you go way back in the day, it was it was more about the NIT than it was the NCAA tournament. Speak to specifically, you had to come back in this basketball game down 35 to 28 at halftime. Take us through that 10 to nothing run uh, early on in the second half 
over that two minute period in that that run got you guys right back in the basketball game. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a ten point game. Uh, I think it was forty one thirty one. If I remember yeah, correctly, that's correct. And um, um, you know, we just uh, saw some things in transition that we could do to them, and we were able to execute that. And uh, we were able to get out and run and uh, get some transition threes and things like that to get us back in the game. And um, you know, we got back in the game, and once we got back in the game, I think the kids realized that you know we could win this game. And um, you know, we just went from there. Honestly, at halftime, they realized they could win the game. Because the only person that was hurting us was this, this one shooter that we just talked about how we had to get out to him. I think number three, I forgot his name offhand. He had 17 points in the first half. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, without him, they were struggling big time. So uh, once we once we keyed in on him, you know, he finished with 17 for the game. And um, he just scored another point. And uh, we were able to get back in the game and, and win the game. Yeah, you were able to definitely shut down Alex Reese, as you mentioned, 17 points in the game. I mean, Derek Jamerson was absolutely huge for you. This is a kid that coming into this game was averaging right around 10.3 points per game. I mean, he definitely was a, a key for you throughout the course of the season. In this game, 25 points on 7 of 13 shooting. Uh, uh, well, 25 points, I should say, 7 of 13 from three-point range. Talk about his play and some big shots that he hit in the uh, in the second half, and then of course in the overtime period. I mean, because of his ability to shoot, you know, um, he, even though he only averages ten point three, like you said in conference, you know, he averaged more. He averaged more than that, and down the stretch, you know, he has some big games for us as well. Um, but at any point in time, he could get hot, you know, and, and you know he does shoot with such high accuracy. You know, that's why he's number one three point shooter in the country. Um, but, uh, you know, the night that uh, he got hot, uh, we kept running some plays to get him open, and um, he played well. You know, in the championship game, you know, he was hurt in that game. So I know a lot of people wondered why he didn't play that much in the championship game and things like that, but the kid was hurt. And after a couple of days of rehab and things like that, you know, he's able to play again, and, um, you know, he had a great performance last night. You were part of the win in 2012, um, when Norfolk State, of course, defeated Missouri. Norfolk State was the 15th seed, uh, defeated Mizzou, who was the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. And again, as we mentioned, the NIT is a big deal. Obviously, they're different. The NCAA tournament has more recognition. But how does this win on Wednesday stack up against that win uh, some seven years ago in the tournament? I mean, it's the second biggest win we've had in school history. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, that's the biggest win, of course, because that was an NCAA win. But, um, you know, being a 16-point underdog to an SEC school, um, you know, in, in, a, in a national tournament on national TV, uh, you know, that, that definitely is the second biggest win we've had in school history um, by far. So, um, you know, it, it, does, it does wonders for the program. It kind of soothes that pain a little bit of not being in an NCAA tournament because you had such a, you know, big – recognition win that honestly um everyone's so hype about the win you know is it's almost like you know that game didn't even happen last saturday because uh now you know we're at a national tournament uh, the next game we play will be on national tv as well and um it has that ncaa feel a little bit and another thing that was big was that unlike the ncaa tournament which is like a neutral site victory we had to go into their house and beat them you know so that, that was a, a true road win underdog victory that we have so you know that that's that's big that's big 
That the voice of Robert Jones, the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. He's in his sixth season. The Spartans, a big victory over Alabama, 80 to 79 in overtime on Wednesday. They're going to play Colorado in Boulder on Monday. And someone that knows a little bit uh, about HBCUs is Avery Johnson, the head coach at Alabama, of course, played his ball uh, at Southern. He knows about being an underdog. What did he say to you after uh, your victory over uh, Alabama on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, he didn't really say much uh, after the after the victory. Uh, he just said, good job, coach. You know, good luck in the next round, which, you know, I understand. Um, sometimes as a coach, you don't want to talk. You know, because it is a frustrating loss, and I'm sure that they expected to win that game. Um, so, you know, there's, there's no hard feelings or anything like that with him. Uh, so, you know, that's all we said. We just exchanged words real quick after the game. Yeah, I mean, just to take it back a little bit, you know, just to put some perspective on it, because you're right, it is a big win. And, again, when we talked with you three weeks ago, I mean, you guys were rolling undefeated in, in conference play. Um, you got you you had one conference loss but still playing well going into the tournament. Um, you know, what, what what sort of happened with this team? You had the 10-point lead at halftime against North Carolina Central in a low-scoring game, lose that game by three. What, what happened to your team in that game? <clears throat> I mean, honestly, we could have thrown a rock in the ocean. Um, you know, if you would have told me that in at play, we would have held a team to 50 points and I think 35% shooting, I think, something around there, I would have told you we won by 25 points, honestly. Um, because all year, our offense – was at a high level in the MEAC. Um, and our defense was pretty good, too. So that was a real shocking thing that we, we shot four for 22. Um, and we had open looks. We had open layups, open threes in the second half that we just didn't make. And honestly, Central didn't make a lot either, just scoring 50 points. You know, they they uh, they, they were held, we held them scoring the last four minutes and eight seconds of the, of the game. Um, but the problem was for the last two minutes, we went scoreless. So, um you know, it was a weird, weird game, you know, that, that happened there. It was just a weird game. And, um, you know, we was able to bounce back from it. Because like I told, told the guys that, you know, one game doesn't define everything that you've done well this season. I mean, you know, we're a 22-win team at this point. 22 wins in college basketball is a very hard thing to do. And um, especially at HBCU, with the schedule you have to play with guaranteed games and things like that, like, you know, we're not buying too many games. A lot of times people are buying us for games. So, it's um, you know, to get 22 wins is, 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 a, is a tough task. And, um, you know, to try to keep the guys up, like one of the things that they've accomplished, you know, is the, the second time we've ever won the regular season title in, in school history. We have the second most wins in school history. You know, there's a whole bunch of other little records that we have. So, these guys did a tremendous job um, this year. And I just told them, don't, just, just don't hang your hat on you know, us not get to the NCAA tournament because in a one-bid league, those three games in March, anything can happen in those three games in March. Robert Jones is the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State. He joins us here on the program. Of course, the Spartans winning first-round game in the NIT at Alabama, and that's a pretty big deal. So, Coach Jones, what are some of the challenges that Colorado presents? Of course, you got to travel to Boulder to play against Colorado on Monday. Um, you know, high major team with high major athleticism and size. So that's going to be always a battle. Um, I thought we did a good job. We actually won the rebounding battle, which is tremendous for us to do. And, um, you know, we got to come out and play with, with a lot more grit. You know, I know 
Colorado's attention might be a little bit more than maybe Alabama's attention was to us. Because, you know, maybe Alabama's overlooking us. But now we got, I'm sure we got the full attention of the Colorado uh, players and, and staff. So it's going to be a different level of intensity um, in that game out there. And, and, of course, at this point, once you get over the, the, the hurdle of, um, you know, you not being an NCAA tournament and you, and you actually won a game now at NIT, now that feeling is restored about, you know, you want to keep winning. And I think both teams are probably feeling like that. So um, it's going to be a, a different kind of battle out there on, on Monday. Yeah. Robert Jones in his sixth season as the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State joins us here on from the press box to press row the Spartans winning again that first round NIT game at Alabama on Wednesday. They're going to take on Colorado in Boulder on Monday. Coach Jones, great to catch up with you. Continued success to you and the Spartans. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. North Carolina A&T track and field star Kayla White is up next. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's beef jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's beef jerky online at marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's marjoriesbeefjerky.com, or call them toll-free, 844-340-7600. One three. Marjorie's beef jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. We track down the names making news in sports. From the Press Box to Press Row. It's Donald Ware. From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And I had quite a few people reach out to me about my next guest. And, you know, probably on this program we don't talk enough uh, track and field. But when you have someone that has done something as special or doing things, I should say, as special as my next guest, they deserve to be talked about. The senior from North Carolina A&T, her name is Kayla White. She was named the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Athlete of the Year. She, of course, has run the fastest time in the 200 meters and came in second in the 60-meter hurdles in the NCAA Indoor Championships as Kayla White joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Kayla, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everyone. Yes, we are so glad to have you. So let me start here. How are you taking in all of, you know, you're getting all of these interviews and people are are, are, are wanting to talk to you and all those kind of things. Your name is out there. So how are you handling all of this success? Um, I feel like I'm handling it very well. Um, before, I just knew there are going to be a lot of people that wanted to interview me and a lot of people that wanted to talk. So I kind of prepare myself for that because I know I'm a great speaker, so... You know, I'm kind of excited for all of it to happen. <laughs> yeah. Now, what, now, what's your major? What are you majoring in? 
I majoring in journalism and mass communications <laughs> with a concentration in mass media. <laughs> now, how did I? Okay, so how did I? I knew that because to your point, you like to you speak very well. That's good. You're going to go far and have an opportunity to go far in this business. So, what do you ultimately? I mean, once you know you're a senior, so this is going to be your last year. Now, you graduating in May? Yes, I am. Okay, great. So, you know, what what are you hoping to do after it's uh, after you get that piece of paper in May? Uh, definitely after I graduate in May, um, I'm going to be finishing up my collegiate career at the NCAA championships as well as the outdoor world championship trials. So, um, you know, once all of that wraps up, I plan on turning pro. Ah, that is absolutely awesome. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm going to say this quote and I want to get your thoughts. I'm not just an HBCU sprinter. I'm one of the best sprinters in the nation. And I think sometimes, and I think it's a great point, and I think it was a great quote, because I think sometimes in our world of HBCU sports, we're all, you know, we're, we, we have such pride about our schools, right? And then outside mm-hmm. of it, outside of the HBCU world, uh, people want to classify you as, oh, HBCU. So tell yeah. me what you meant by that quote. I'm not just an HBCU sprinter. I'm one of the best sprinters in the nation. So what I meant by that quote was, of course, I know I'm a great sprinter coming from HBCU. You know, I'm doing all these great things. But, you know, it's so celebrated in the HBCU world that once it gets, you know, the bigger stages with the Power Five, they're surprised and they don't know what's going on. They're like, oh, she came out of nowhere. Like, no, I've been here. And you guys decided to not acknowledge what I've been doing for so long that, you know, once I got to the bigger stage, I just had to put on the show to let, let them know that I'm here. So. That's pretty much what I meant by that quote. Yeah, and you definitely put on a show. So now my understanding is you were supposed to run the 60-meter deal but opted not to explain. Take us through that and explain why you weren't able to do the 60 meters. Okay, so I did qualify for the 60 hurdles, the 260-meter dash. But since the 60-meter dash is so close to the 60-meter hurdles, I would have, like, little time to recover to run the best that I could run. So. Me and my coach, you know, we sat down and decided what events would be great for me to run, you know, fast times in where I have time to recover. So, had to scratch the 60. It's all good. Yeah. No, it definitely is. <laughs> that the voice of Kayla White. She's a senior out of from Miami, of course, of North Carolina A&T, named the 2019 NCAA Track and Field Athlete of the Year. She joins us here on From the Press Box. The Press, of course, ran the 200 meter in 22.62 and then ran, of I should say, finished second in the 60 meter hurdles. Um, so, but not too long ago, you ran the 22.82, which was the standard. So tell us how you were able to shave off, you know, two tenths of a second <laughs> off your time and ultimately run it in 22.62, which is the fastest time in the nation. So, I, you know, when I ran at 2282 in Arkansas, I kind of ran it by myself since I was out in lane six. You know, I didn't really have anyone to push me because the entire race I didn't see anyone. So, finally, in the um, final at Nationals, you know, I had the freshman Kennedy Flannel from Texas. She was to my outside, and I knew I had someone from Alabama to my inside that can run the 200 well, too. So, I felt like in that environment, in that setting, I was bound to run fast with those two girls to the outside of me. Finishing second, did that, do you feel like, even though I know it's obviously two vastly different events, but finishing mm-hmm. second, knowing, and, and the, at the end of the day, I mean, you finished second, but you had another race to run. I, I don't think the winner yeah. had another race to run. So that's saying something. So do, <laughs> did that give you extra confidence going into that 200 meter? 
I definitely did because, you know, the 60 hurdles, it was a very close race. You know, I could have won the race, but, you know, things, you know, don't always turn out how you want them. But I feel like I completed a very well-done race with the PR. So, you know, I kind of took that frustration and I was composed. But I was like, in this 200-meter dash, I am winning a national championship. And I told myself that before I even walked on the track. So, you know, I had to keep my composure and just run my race. Ah, so you so you took channeled some of that. Um, you know, some of not, not necessarily. The, I mean, because I think finishing. I mean, I know you want to win, but finishing second is, yeah. is pretty good. But you took some of that of not winning the race and channeled that into the 200 meter. Yes, I did. <laughs> Absolutely. So t- take us through the season, the indoor season and, you know, sort of how things had progressed from you from the start of the season until this point capped off by the 200 meter win. You know, my indoor season kind of started off slow. Um, I didn't really get into my indoor season until around February, a couple of weeks before our indoor championship for our conference. So, you know, I started off running the 60, opened up with a great time in the 60-meter dash. Then um, a couple of weeks after that, I opened up in the hurdles and ran a PR. So I was pretty excited because my PR is what I finished with at Nationals last year. So I knew I was bound to run something fast. And after I ran the 200 meter at Arkansas, I was like, whoa. Okay, you know, I prayed for times like this, and I was being patient, and I was finally starting, you know, to come true. Got to nationals, ran the 60 meter hurdles, ran the 200, and after that whole thing, I'm still soaking everything again. Like, indoor, this was my last indoor meet, and I topped it off with winning the national championship. So I would say my indoor started off kind of slow, but I'm grateful for the progression that, you know, I've come to have. Kayla White, of course, she is the holds the fastest time in the 200 meter uh, so far this year at 22.62. She is the 2019 NCAA Track Athlete of the Indoor Athlete of the Year, I should say. She joins us here on the program. So tell us about Dwayne Ross, your head coach, what he's meant to you in these four years at A&T. Um, honestly, I'm speechless when it comes to him because he's such an amazing mentor an amazing coach an amazing dad and you know I wouldn't be anywhere without him you know my freshman year I was kind of lost you know I didn't want to hurdle me and him would get into it all the time but once I started to trust him and trust my training the more we got closer and the more the time started to drop and I saw that every single year that I've been at AMP, I have progressed and got to where I wanted to be with just trusting him so He's an amazing coach. You know, I just listen to everything he says because he's always right. <laughs> he's never wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting you say that because you, you weren't, as you mentioned, you weren't necessarily saying that three years ago. So yeah. is it the success and in, in, in what he was telling you? Did you see that that was actually coming to fruition and that's why you, you or were you just kind of young and rebellious? Why weren't you listening to him early on? I feel like, you know, coming out of high school – I, you know, I started hurdling my senior year of high school. So once I got to AMP, I was like, yeah, I just want to sprint. So I was kind of going against his word in a way and not trusting him. And, you know, this whole time this man knows the plan for me, and I'm just sitting there like, no, I know what's best for me. So <laughs> it was kind of a back-and-forth thing. But eventually I saw his plan, and I kind of, you know, jumped on the boat and was like, okay, I just listened to you. you you're the man, <laughs> so I'm just going to listen. Yeah, you know, I was reading a piece I think it was on NCATAggies.com where mm-hmm. he mentioned that, um, you know, it was more about a, a team concept 
Yeah. So can you you kind of speak to that and how you were able to buy into that ultimately? So, you know, your teammates always push you and you always push your teammates. But when you're at that top of the totem pole, you know, you still have your teammates that are slowly progressing. I wouldn't be where I am today without the teammates that push me. And they wouldn't be where they are today without me pushing them. So I give credit to my teammates and my team. Just, you know, in practice, we're always competitive, especially with the boys. So, you know, I have to give credit to my teammates as well. <laughs> no, that that's pretty – that is definitely pretty awesome. So what, what – for you, what changed from – you know, and I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of how you did as a junior, but I mean, I think your the track program at A&T has been extremely successful. So mm-hmm. what what it, what sort of changed for you in terms of whether it was a training deal or any other thing from last year as a junior to this year now as a senior? I feel like you know I've always taken I've always taken this sport serious, but I feel like I really didn't get serious until I saw you know my teammate Christopher Belcher go pro and. Make his first world team. I saw that firsthand. I saw that race, and I was just like, he just really did this. You know, I train with him every day. There's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do this, or any of my other teammates should be able to do this. So, you know, what he did that day, it really, it really stuck with me because he worked hard. So I felt like if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> no, no question about it. So, are you able to run the sixty, the sixty meter or dash? Are you able to do that? Yeah, I could have. <laughs> no, man, coming up, I mean, you know, moving forward, I mean, I guess in the outdoor, once the outdoor season starts. Oh, yeah, starts. outdoor, it translates to the 100-meter dash, so yeah. Gotcha. I can definitely do it. <laughs> okay, absolutely. So, I mean, you have had absolutely tremendous success on the track, um, in the classroom. Um, how did you ultimately, last question, end up at a <laughs> all the way from Miami? So, this is a long story short. I was supposed to get... Um, you know, attend Alabama State University. But, you know, things kind of changed. A couple coaches left, and, you know, the miscommunication was there, and I eventually fell off with the coach. So I would say about two weeks before school started at A&T, I get this call from Coach Ross, and he was just like, how fast can you get here? And I'm just like, how fast do you need me here? Because I'll be here quick. <laughs> so, you know, once I got that phone call, I packed all my stuff up, and I ended up in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> And the rest, as they say, is history. She is Kayla White, of course. She is the 2019 NCAA Track and Field Indoor Athlete of the Year. Also, she is the record holder currently or has the fastest time in the 200 meters. She, of course, also finished second in the 60-meter hurdles in the indoor championships. Kayla White of North Carolina A&T joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Kayla, we appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Thank you so much for having me. Continuing on as Sharif Abdurrahim is up next after this small pause for the cause, this is From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. March Madness is in full effect, and of course our uh, our presentation of March Madness continues here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're joined by a gentleman who played 12 seasons in the NBA, was a very, very good player when he played, as a matter of fact, averaged 18.1 points per game. He is president of the NBA's G League. He is the founder of Future Foundation, which we'll talk more about. Also, the uh, vice president of basketball operations 
at the NBA. He is Sharif Abdurrahim. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Sharif, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely glad to have you. Congratulations on the gig with the uh, the G League, which is which is sort of new to you. So how are you how are you liking your digs with the G League? I'm enjoying it. It's a it's a it's a great opportunity. You know, our league is in a in a great place. We're 27 teams, 28 teams next year, all connected and affiliated with NBA teams. So you know, we're a growing team of, of development and growing, and so much of what the G League is about is innate to my own um, journey through basketball and just development and growth. So I'm really fortunate to be in the position I'm in at this time. I think it's a let's start there. But I think that's an excellent point. You played one year at Cal. Where do you as a player who played in the one and done rule wasn't in effect when you played? But where do you stand on the one and done rule? Well, look, I I think, you know, for me at the time, you know, I I did. I was at Cal. I had I probably exceeded my expectations in in my one year. and you know, had the opportunity to, to to go pro. I think for me, I wasn't I wasn't ready out of high school to do it. Uh, at the G League, we're offering starting next year. We're offering we're offering opportunities for high school kids that if they don't want to go to college, you know, not in competition with the NBA, we're offering the opportunity through our pro our pro path program that they can come to the G League and start their professional career. Um, there, uh, we have a partnership with Arizona State University. They can also um, start their education there as well. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's an option that we're offering uh, with the G League. You know, I think the thing about development and education in general is that you know we all grow and progress at our at different pace. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a it's a really good thing. Do you you know? There's been a lot of controversy surrounding the. The sort of as it's so-called the one-and-done rule, and I think more specifically it's come to light because of the Zion Williamson situation, although obviously he's now back uh, with Duke. Do you think ultimately that we'll see a change to that rule, maybe go, where uh, players are ultimately able to come straight out of high school and enter the NBA? Well, I think what we're seeing, I think what we're seeing now is a lot of conversation, you know, just around, you know, what, you know, what options young people should have. Um, and, you know, that's where I think that's where things start. I think there's a lot that has to happen in between, you know, if rules change change or not. You know, I think that's the really good thing, again, about what we're offering with the G League is that we are giving, you know, that optionality to young people that if, you know, college isn't for them, you know, we're not recruiting them over college. If college is not for them, then they can come to the G League and start their professional career there. Yeah, no, I think it's a great thing, the select contracts that you all are implementing. Um, and, and you talked a little bit about how it can benefit those uh, that choose not to go to college and the partnership with Arizona State. Do you foresee other uh, universities kind of stepping up from that more educational standpoint with respect to what you all are doing in the select contracts with the G League? I can see that happening. So this is, you know, this is a overall partnership that the G League has with Arizona State. Um, so they they partner with that, but I, I can see where you know other uh, institutions of higher learning would want to be a part of what we're doing because we really um, have the opportunity to meet young men where they are at that time and allow them to concentrate on their craft and, and basketball, but then also 
you know, give them opportunities to start building their life skills. So I'm sure, you know, just other folks in, in, in education would want to be a part of that. That the voice of Sharif Abdur Rahim, the president of the G League, also vice president of basketball operations for the NBA and founder of the Future Foundation, former NBA All-Star, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And Sharif, what are some of the things you'd like to implement in terms uh, of the G League for uh, for further growth with the league? Well, look, I think, you know, just in short order, number one, we're 27 teams. We're working towards getting to 28. So we'll be at 28 teams next year. New Orleans will be a part of the league. Then we have two more teams to be to a full 30 30 league team, a mirror of the NBA. So I think just in short order, that's number one. We want to continue to create opportunities for folks to launch their careers, not only basketball players, but coaches and the, on the business side as well. Uh, we want to, you know, be a, a hub for, you know, testing rules and innovation, an R and D um, lab, if you will, for the NBA. And just overall, we want to have, we want to be an opportunity to connect to our communities, you know, folks that come out to a G League game, um, have a little bit more of an intimate experience than they would at, at an NBA game. So our players are a little more accessible. You should see it. They'll see us a little bit more in the community. So that's what we're about. You know, it, it's interesting because, again, as I mentioned, not only president of the G League, but also the vice president of basketball operations uh, for the NBA uh, and you're young, man. You're 42 years old. So do you ultimately have aspirations to become the commissioner of the NBA? No, no aspirations for that. <laughs> really? No, no I, I think I think being president, and I have to correct you, so I'm just president of the G League. I don't have okay. the, the NBA title was my, my previous title. I don't have that, um, that title anymore. So my focus is just 100% uh, concentrated on, on the G League. Okay, understood. So let's shift a little bit and talk about the Future Foundation. Of course, you guys are having a big event uh, on Wednesday. So what led you to found the Future Foundation? So uh, we founded the Future Foundation in 2001, really just behind the idea of wanting to provide opportunities for young people uh, in the neighborhood I grew up in in southwest Atlanta. We started there, and since then we've grown um, to servicing um, young people throughout throughout Atlanta over the last 18 years, we worked with over 20,000 families um, since 2007 through our after-school programs. All the young people that we've come in contact with have graduated high school, and that's really what our function um, tomorrow is about. Our Keep It 100% luncheon is just an opportunity for us to celebrate our young people and the work that they're doing in school. 99% of those young people have gone on to to college or some uh, post-high school education. Um, so it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to celebrate our young people, acknowledge um, the sponsors that, that support us, folks like Wells Fargo, Southern Company Gas, Delta Airlines, Georgia Pacific, Georgia Power, and so on that have supported and support the work that we're doing. And, and, and you know, you, you, you see a lot of athletes and, and uh, they have foundations, but you're – you know, you're really hands-on with this. Like, you founded this once you came back to Atlanta uh, as an NBA player. So can you not speak to not only the growth of the program, but what it really means to you as as you may have been one of the uh, – a, a child that uh, is much like some of the children 
that you are, in fact, trying to help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, it, it means a lot. I see, I see young people um, that, you know, remind me very much of myself. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a great opportunity through basketball. My parents otherwise would not have been able to afford to send me to, you know, an institution like California Berkeley. I had a great opportunity there. And there, my eyes were just open to all the possibilities, you know, outside of my neighborhood. And, you know, that kind of sparked me to want to be able to, in some way, create a platform that, that gave young people like myself the opportunity to, to see similar things. Sharif Abdurrahim, of course, joins us here on the program. He's the founder of Future Foundation, also president of the G League. I'd like to get your thoughts as a guy that played uh, in the NBA for 12 seasons. Again, a really good player. I'm going to ask you a question about, you know, certainly your time in the NBA. But I want to get your thoughts uh, on Zion Williamson, just as, in general. You know, it's really it's, it's, it's hard to say that. You know, it's really, it's really hard to, to get into you know, projecting someone out. I think, uh, you know, what you see is a young man that's going out and he's competing. Um, he's playing hard. You have to love the way that he's just playing with his friends and enjoying the college experience um, and embracing that. Um, he obviously has, has gotten a lot of attention through his play, but I think probably as noteworthy is just how he's conducted himself and how he's carried himself with his team um, and, and the future is, is really bright for him. I think, but I just think it's really hard to, to project, you know, exactly because uh, there's so many things that, that go into play, health and, and, and situation, teams that you end up on. It's hard to, you know, project what you'll do. As as a former player, while you were playing, did you you sort of foresaw yourself like in you know not only with the foundation but also in an executive position in professional sports, right? You you prepared yourself for that while in, in while as an NBA player. Well, I mean, I, I didn't know exactly where it would be or where I would end up. I, I knew I wanted to have options to to do things beyond uh, beyond my playing days. Um, so you know, I finished. You know, my my education, I went back to school and uh, finished my degree and you know, went on and you know, received the, uh, my, my master's degree. So I just, I just tried to do things that build and, and work towards uh, my my education. And that's my message to, uh, you know, young people. One of our main focuses with the Future Foundation is, is breaking the cycle of poverty. Mm-hmm. And we feel as though that through education, uh, young people – can, can work hard, they can dream, they can believe, and using their education, uh, they can overcome any circumstances they are, they're in. You know, they can imagine things outside of their community uh, and really uh, put themselves in a situation where they determine uh, their life. Last two thoughts. When you think about your NBA career, the 12 seasons that you played, Grizzlies, Hawks, Kings, what most comes to mind? Just, just unbelievable um, experience, unbelievable teammates, people that I got to know, um, communities. Like I live, I was a, I'm, a, I'm a kid from Southwest Atlanta that got to live in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Right? Like I couldn't have, you know, I couldn't even have told you told you on the map where Vancouver was. I lived in Portland, Oregon, um, Sacramento. So, like I got to, I, I got to see the world. Uh, I got to really. Um, have some great experiences, and then, you know, have a platform to be able to come back and share it with people that are, you know, from the same place I'm from. 
And then lastly, again, in in sort of growing up in, I mean, we're we're not that far apart in terms of age. I really, I really, really liked your game uh, when you play. I, I played. I know it was sort of uh, uh, cut short by injury. Is it Sharif Abdur Rahim Hall of Fame worthy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I guess who who votes on that? Like sports writers vote on that, right? Yeah. So I just I leave that to them. You know, I, I'm blessed. I'm really fortunate. I had a I had a great time, great career on the court, and um, you know I've been fortunate to still be able to be a part of um, the sport I love, um, and I'm continuing to grow and continue to learn. And you know we'll see. Um, we'll see what things go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the president of the G League, also founder of Future Foundation. Got a big event coming up on Wednesday in Atlanta. He is Sharif Abdurrahim. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Sharif, we appreciate the time. Continued success with the G League and, of course, Future Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The head coach of a team who has won three straight conference tournament championships is on deck Find out who I'm talking to next as From the Press Box to Press Row continues. Stick around and see who's wagging their tongue next with Donald Ware. From the Press Box to Press Row. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. North Carolina Central Eagles again. You're talking if you're talking about last week, they were winners of their third straight MEAC tournament championship. Unfortunately, fell to North Dakota State, 78 to 74, uh, in the NCAA tournament's opening round. And in his tenth season as the head men's basketball coach of the Eagles is Lavelle Moten, gracious enough to join us here on from the press box to press row. Coach Moten, welcome back to the program. Man, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Is is it too early uh, or is it too fresh to talk about the totality of the season and what you were able to accomplish after the loss on Wednesday against North Dakota State? Um, man, you know, anytime you put it all into perspective, um, you know, just having an opportunity to win three championships in a row with, with essentially three different teams, um, you know, that's that's unheard of and, and you know, people gotta understand that we're still only eight years old as a division one program, so we we're very much into our infant stages. Um so we're still learning, still trying to figure some things out and a heartbreaking loss, um, because we still wanted to make history and get our first tournament win. And uh we were so close but we didn't take advantage of the situation and execute down the stretch and, and we'll be better for that. 
Yeah, speak to that because, I mean, at the end of the day, just like you had to do uh, less than a week ago now, you had to come back. Um, and you did come back, as a matter of fact, and went ahead, and it just didn't work out. So talk about the resiliency your team had in, in coming back. I know you ultimately fell short, but your guys continued to fight. Absolutely, man. I'm extremely proud of them. Um, you know, I, I tell them every day the, the biggest blessing, one of the biggest blessings that you can have on earth is to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And when you're part of bigger than yourself, um, it's just moral obligation uh, for the ones that um, created it before you, and also your last name and your predecessors, et cetera. And we got down 13, and I just told them in the huddle, look, man, let, let's just fight. Fight for your last name. Fight for your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your grandfather, great-grandfather. Fight for the guys, the pioneers of this North Carolina Central program that laid the foundation before you. Just fight. Don't make it about you. Just fight. And before you know it, we looked up and we were up five. So um, hats off to my guys, my team, man. I had a tremendous, resilient group of young guys, and um, they left everything on the floor. All right, yeah, no question about it. Let me take you back to a week ago uh, in Norfolk where you defeat Norfolk State 50-47. to Again, the game in Norfolk, and you guys were able to come back in that game. What did that tournament championship mean to you to this program and it being the third straight MEAC tournament championship? You know, that one was a little different because it it, it allowed us to, to self reflect at halftime. You know, we we've never been in a situation where we were down ten at the half in the in the MEAC championship. Um so we had to do some soul searching and, and quick. And uh, you know, again, we found ourselves in a situation where a lot of the stuff, hats off to Norfolk, but a lot of the stuff that we were doing was self-inflicted wounds, and we had to improve upon that and correct that and rectify that immediately. And once we did that, I thought we could make it a basketball game um, that could bounce in our favor possibly because we just wanted to continue to get stops. And we were able to do that, man, and I'm extremely proud of the kids for doing so. Avell Moten in his 10th season as the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I mean, I, I, would, I would venture to say you were playing reasonably or relatively well, whichever one you want to use in terms of going into the tournament, although, you know, you got you got beat pretty good by your arch rival. So speak to because at the end of the day, you did beat Delaware State during the regular season, but you lost to A&T twice. You lost to Norfolk State the one time you played them, yet you were able to beat them both in the tournament. So speak to that and how you were able to come back specifically against A&T and Norfolk State uh, in that championship game to win the tournament. You know, a lot of times what happens on our level, because the, the, the public and, you know, the fans are not as familiar with, um, you know, the individuals on our team, unlike, you know, someone like Zion or whatever where the world knows when he's hurt. We've had so many injuries. We we've my point my starting point guard missed eleven conference games. So, you know, we don't make excuses, but we were trying to figure things out as we went on the fly. Uh any team that loses their starting point guard for eleven games, they're gonna take a back seat to what they uh, are accustomed to doing. And we were no different. Then we had John Guerrero who pretty much led us to a uh, finals championship last year. He comes up, and now his back is hurting. Now he got to miss eight games. So we were trying to figure it out as a coaching staff and also as a team because that kind of threw a monkey wrench into our 
immediate plans, but injuries are a part of the game. And along the way, no one stops and waits for you to get yourself together. You know, it's going to be trial by fire. And uh, we lost some games, but we always felt okay because we just knew we just needed a little more time to get things clicking. And around tournament time, they, they started clicking on all cylinders. You know, in 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 the game, uh, in the game against uh, North Dakota State, Larry McKnight, twenty points uh, in the ball game. Rasheen Davis with a double double, twenty and sixteen. Uh, speak to Rasheen Davis specifically, playing his last game and what he's meant to this program the last couple of years. Uh, he's incredible, man. He's a beautiful kid. You know, just a low maintenance individual, always on time. Um, always does the right thing. You know, he, he's a man of integrity and uh, extremely talented. And we just wanted to get the dog out of him. When he transferred to us from, from Kent State, we just wanted to get the dog out um, of him because he was so to himself and in his own in his own lane. And I challenged him um, outside of his talent. I challenged him to be a dog. You know, these last two weeks, man, you got to be a dog. Everything you do, you got to be great at it. And he stepped up, and, you know, I thought he was the best player in our conference. Yeah. Uh, so speak a little bit. You know, I know it's going back some five years ago, but you got a big contract extension that uh, kept you – five years ago you signed it that uh, keeps you at NCCU through 2022. What did that mean? Like that's not something that typically happens on our level to be able to get a really, really long-term extension. And, of course, you were one of the greatest players in Eagles history. So what did that mean to you to be able to get that contract that's keeping you uh, at NCCU for the next three years? You know, anytime someone invests in you and believes in you and show a commitment to it and support you and your family, you know, it's, it's, you're extremely humbled and honored, you know, to, and blessed to be in a situation where um, that occurs because that's the ultimate, you know, and that's all we want as individuals who work every day in our crafts and our vocation. That's all we want. We just want people to respect what we do. And oftentimes people show their respect by, um, affording you a contract or whatever it may be. And, you know, I've been fortunate, extremely fortunate um, that, you know, I have been in a position where I can take care of my family and and they don't have to grow up the way I grew up, uh, speaking specifically about my kids. So it's nothing but the ultimate blessing, and I'm grateful that North Carolina Central believed in me, um, along with the leadership and the athletic director, Ingrid Wilton McCree, and our chancellor, no question about it. a couple of more thoughts for Lavelle Moten, the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central. You speak about they made a commitment, meaning North Carolina Central to you. And they, I mean, there's a commitment to the program. Like I look at, um, you know, your assistant coaches, not a lot of not a, on our level, not a lot have three full-time assistant coaches one by the way Luke Delesio of course who coached at Bowie State you got a basketball a director of basketball operations and uh, you know a, a, a young man in Laren uh, Parks I guess who uh, also is in the director of player development so speak specifically to the commitment that the university as a whole has made to this men's basketball program and really to to the athletics uh, program as a whole yeah, as you know, as I mentioned before, man, it, it's just the mere fact that we had to um, evaluate ourselves because we were only eight years old, and we had to evaluate some things during this transition in Division One. And one of the things that we understood was um, 
he had to commit and and, and pass talk. Um, it it was going to require financial commitment, and they made that financial commitment. And I just thank God for you know the previous players that we've had before, um, who allowed us to go uh, and enter that NCAA tournament, and, and allow the chancellors and the administration staff to understand the big picture and see the big picture and understand that the marketing and things of that nature, we couldn't pay for that stuff. You know, they probably called North Carolina Central name in the past week a million times on ESPN or whatever uh, channel affiliate that you associated with. And you couldn't pay for that marketing. So it generates interest and, and brings um, attention to the whole school where everyone at North Carolina Central can benefit. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, no question. Lastly, how what is it going to take next year, or or how far away do you think you are from possibly winning uh, an NCAA tournament game? And you know, because if I look and and also if I look at the roster, a lot of your guys are transfer guys. Or do you plan to kind of continue that? And D one guys, are you plan to kind of continue that route? Or are you going to try to uh, go younger, or maybe a mixture of the two? Yeah, we always do a mixture, you know, based on our particular needs at that time. So we're hitting the recruiting circuit right now. Um, you know, in our league, young guys don't really get it done, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, you, you have to be a little older because college basketball is not what it once was. There's no more 18-year-old freshmen. These kids are 20-year-old freshmen because they've been to four different high schools, transferred, set out a year, went prep, whatever have you. Right. So. Uh, you, you need young men, honestly, and that's why we um, have, have recruited the way um, that we've had in the past. So I don't see anything changing. If it's, if it's not broke, we definitely ain't going to fix it. Yep. Lavelle Moten, 10th season, or just has completed his 10th season as the head men's basketball coach at North Carolina Central. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Moten, we appreciate the time. Again, congratulations once again, and we'll talk with you in 2019-2020. All right, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, Don. I got to get ready to run. Lavelle Moten, Robert Jones, Kayla White, Sharif Abdur-Rahim. Appreciate you joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. For more information on the program, log on to our website at boxtorow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Yo, from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications.